and welcome to another episode of Solo Powered with me, Ariana Dunn. This is a podcast that celebrates doing things solo, whether that be solo travel, solo business, solo journey to parenthood, single by choice, solo pursuits of passion or solo adventures. Remember, this is not about living a lonely life. This is about living the most full life on your terms. On episode three of this podcast, I had Kelly Shatter join us. Kelly was a person that I met in the south of France while I was on a writers and artists retreat. And what a lucky girl I am because I have another guest waiting on standby all the way from down under in Australia, who I also met when I was on that life train, life changing trip in Lamuse in La Bastide in the south of France. Rachel Oaks Ash is um, someone who I bonded with and became extremely good friends with during my time in La Bastide. She is a force of nature and a phenomenal woman who has so many strings to her bow. I'm going to need to take a deep breath for this this one. She (laughs) is an author, a travel writer, a skier. She does features. She does fundraising. She's a podcaster, a producer. She works in PR. She's a speaker. She's worked on TV. She was in the TV world over in Australia for many years. She had various different uh, websites and... um, newsletters and articles for um for the ski world she has um miss snow at all and snow's best and she is someone who packed up her suitcases sold everything in her life and traveled around the world chasing the snow as part of her job as a snow journalist among many other things she really epitomizes what being a solower is all about and has had incredible things in her life happen in the last few years that i'm really excited to dig into with her um, and chat about on this podcast so buckle in everybody you're in for an exciting episode (laughs) with this beautiful lady rachel i'm so happy to see you Oh, I'm so excited. You just brought me back to all of those fabulous memories in La Muse in La Bastides Barbarenc. And yes. I remember we did, you just, I just had that flash of the newspaper that we did of all of us and we put all of our writing in as, as if we had a proper newspaper for the, for the what was it, a village of 80 people. Yeah. Oh, my God, it was such a good time. Such yeah. a good time. It was so lovely. Mm. And when you're in a little tiny little village like that with not a lot to do, not a lot of Wi-Fi. I mean, Rachel was way better than me, I have to say. Rachel was was riding all the time and she was, you know, very kind of diligent. Well, much more than me. I was much more focused on the wine and the cheese and the tomfoolery <laughs> that existed. Um, oh. But, you know, it's, it's like being in Big Brother or something, isn't it? You really just get to know and bond with people much, much quicker than you do in the normal world, I think. Well, I think I think we were all there as individual solo travellers anyway. Mm-hmm. No one came with anybody else. In those no. first three weeks that we were there, we, there was 30 of us and was it 30? No, no was it 30 I of us? No, there was 15. three weeks. It would have been 12 of us. Oh, I, yeah, I made up over the, over the time that we were yeah, there. Yeah, over like the six weeks that, that we yeah, were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, two months. But that first three weeks where we were all together and we all bonded so beautifully and, and we were very lucky because it's very rare to get that many people all get on so well yeah. for a, for a three week length of period. I mean, we would sing every. Well, you would sing every night. I would get pissed off that you would sing every night because I wanted to sing, but you're a much better singer than I was. And we would have everyone would bring trout and lemon, and and we'd have those three three euro bottles of rosé every night. And you know, Gunter would recite a poem, and um, oh, it was just so magical. It was it just was magical. magical. 
it was magical. magical and we had people from germany from america from mm -hmm. the uk mm -hmm. from you know austria from lebanon ireland lebanon we had people yep. from so many different diverse backgrounds mm. and experiences and ages and genders and you know just personalities and yet we all just gel together so beautifully it was a real you know a wonderful experience I think it's because we were all there individually. Yeah. I do think if I had brought somebody as a friend, it yeah. would have been a very different experience. If yeah. I had brought a family member or, or had just brought a travel partner, I think it would have been a very different experience. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because solo travel and, you know, meeting people like that, you're just exposed. You just have to be your authentic sense. You don't have anywhere to hide. You don't have anyone to kind of hide behind or you don't, you know, it's, it's, um, you're, you know, I think what, what was wonderful about that is seeing authenticity. And I think your authenticity came through I remember that first night you arrived you'd had a bit of a nightmare kind of getting there and you were just so like you from the get-go you know from the beginning you were just so Rachel and you know there was no bullshit about you and that's what I love about you is that you know where you stand with with you which is the type exactly the type of people that I get on with because you know you're just yourself and you wear your heart in your sleeve and you're just very very honest um and I think, is that something that you've always been? Like, talk to us a little bit about your background and, and kind of how you started out in the world of media and, and all of that. I think that hard on the sleeve comes from my family. From My father's always been a straight shooter, but he was the kind of person people either loved or hated. Yeah. And he died a couple of years ago. And, and I now live in the town in which he died. And he was a, a, a big name down here. At, you know, big name in a small pond. And I would meet, I will meet people and they'll go, oh, you Terry Oaks, Ash's daughter. They'll be like, yeah. Did you like him or did you hate him? Because I'm <laughs> never too sure which way it was. But because he, he was, he was a straight shooter. He just put up with no bullshit whatsoever. Um, so look, I think in, in terms of, of media, et cetera, I fell into everything that I have ended up doing. I um, was living overseas like most Australians, like most people, you know, you go off and you do your gap year for a year. I did it for three and a half years, ended up in London, worked in all the restaurants, lived with Anthony Worrell Thompson, not sexually, obviously, um, lived in his house in Wandsworth, rented from him. Um, just, you know, I ended up almost marrying a, a baron. Um, I lived in a squat. I went from one extreme to the other. Uh, I lived it all. And three and a half years later, I, I came back to Australia and, and thought, what the hell am I going to do? And I ended up talking my way into a temp job as Barry Humphrey's PA. Damon the average. So I was his PA for a short amount of time. And at the time, I'd also gone for a job with Sony Music. And I was offered a job as national publicist. So I ended up taking that job because the job with Barry um, was unstable, um, not because of him, but because the the tour that he was doing in Asia hadn't been locked in yet. So I took the gig that was 100% locked in, which was Sony Music. A year later, after getting all the bands, drugs and women, because apparently that's what you do in publicity, I was at a party and I met um, a radio announcer who said, oh, I'm leaving the radio station. You should become a radio announcer. I went, okay, all right, why not? And oh then next God. thing you know, I'm on air in Australia uh, for the uh, leading radio company. I know it was quite funny. Uh, anyway, look, it rolled on from there and I did radio and then I did TV and then I wrote a couple of books and then I became a travel journalist and then I ended up becoming a ski journalist, even though I didn't take up skiing to my 30s. Wow. 
Amazing. I love, I loved hearing that the first time and I loved hearing all about your career. Um, when we met down in, down in France and it was just, it's, it, you know, you're, you're a fascinating because there's always just these random stories that you have that, um, are always so entertaining. Um, and I know we can kind of dig into all of them, um, and we'd be here for hours. Um, but talk to us about kind of like, being a, a snow journalist and kind of chasing snow around the world, because I know, you know, in terms of solo and in terms of this podcast, the idea of being a snow journalist is often quite a solo endeavor because, you know, you're chasing the snow around the world, essentially, as the seasons change. Um, and you kind of have to pick yourself up and put yourself into these places. And and that's what you did um, a few years ago, right? You sort of sold everything. You, you broke up with a partner and you kind of sold everything and put your life on the road, right? Well, yeah, look, I never really thought of myself as really, it, it just was just a natural thing that I would be traveling on my own because um, I was a travel journalist. So I used to do a lot of travel on my own. When you start as a travel journalist, you obviously get sent on, on group trips and that's how you get your start. You go with other journos and you, you go to you know exotic places and then you write about it for magazines. After a while, that gets a little bit annoying because everyone's getting the same stories. So in order to get more exciting stories, you end up, uh, well, I ended up, creating my own journey. There were a couple of really pivotal moments in my life that made me pack up and do my own thing. So I just put my toe into travel journalism and my mother got diagnosed with Parkinson's. And next thing you know, that's it. I'm a full-time travel journalist. I am traveling the world. I am running. I am running as far away as I possibly can and coming home every now and again, just to check in. Um, I fled in fear because my natural reaction in my personal life throughout my life has been when trauma happens, I either shut down or I run. And in that situation, I ran a lot. Um, and I became very independent as a travel journalist. I didn't love going on the group for Mills. And to start, they were quite fun going away with other journos. But I just found you don't get a real experience of, of what's happening unless you're on your own because you're in a competitive environment with other, other journalists. You're all fighting to get a story. You're not actually connecting with the people on the ground that are there and, and the people in remote areas that you're going to. So I just found that going alone and going solo worked so much better for me. In the ski world, going solo worked better for me because you know, I'd, I'd show up at a place like Aspen and they'd lay out the red carpet, which was really nice. And if you're on your own, you don't have anyone to compete with, do you, for all that attention? And I'm a Leo, so I was like, bring it on. <laughs> um, and I met so many fantastic people around the world. And I guess having friends all around the world gives you a sense of global connection, but having them at such a distance also ensures you never have to really fully lean in as well. If you're someone who's petrified of of real vulnerability and connection, which I think I was for quite a while. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do a bit of travel writing myself and a lot of the travel that I do, I, I tend to do on my own as well. Like that over the years, I've gone away with a lot of groups. Um, but for the most part of late, it has been kind of things that I've done either like sort of on my own, as in, you know, I go solo or I bring a friend. Yeah. 
Um, And you're right. It is just like a different experience. But we do we get spoiled because, you know, (laughs) when you go when you go as a general paying customer to these places, you don't get the red carpet treatment. It's quite an enlightening experience when you're like, oh, this isn't how everybody gets treated around here. Um, I do think it's quite addictive. It become quite addictive. But I also feel that a lot of travel journalists can fall into that sense of entitlement because you forget that's that's not how the world travels and you know if I'm paying myself I'm not turning left on the plane I'm turning right (laughs) but if someone else is paying I'm like hang on why am I not turning left I don't understand please explain (laughs) I know I'm actually turning left at the end of the month I'm heading down to South Africa on a on a press (gasps) trip um so I'm very excited yeah going on the new A380 Airbus that big giant airplane as well with the two double deckers so um oh we've had those down here for a long time oh really yeah yeah Yeah, Qantas has had them for a long time yeah yeah no I mean that's probably not new but I mean I don't know okay (laughs) new new, new as in like you know since Concord or something Oh my god, remember Concord? Like, in the last 20 years, you know, when you're when you're in your 40s, like everything is new yeah. if it hasn't been around for, for yeah. since, yeah. since you since have you are going to have have you been to South Africa before? No, never. I'm very excited. Oh, oh my god, best place I've best trip I've ever done in my life, full stop. Wow. Wow. South Africa. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Mm. So talk Safaris. to us then about in mm. terms of like the, the snow journalism, like mm-hmm. When I talk about like chasing around the world, like what does that yeah. look like geographically? Just kind of give people an insight about what that might so be. So I, well, you know, living in Australia, most people don't realise that Australians ski. Most yeah. people don't realise that Australia, Australia has. In, bloom, <laughs> in the Blue Mountains, I did. In the blue no, mountains. you can't ski in the Blue Mountains. <laughs> it must have been the Snowy Mountains. <laughs> I think it was the Blue Mountains. I was living in Melbourne. Such original names, aren't they? The Blue Mountains and the Snowy Mountains. <laughs> Um, you can only ski. You can't ski in the Blue Mountains. You can oh. ski in the Snowy Mountains. Oh, it must yeah. have been the Snowy Mountains then. Yeah. I definitely yeah. was <laughs> skiing. I was definitely skiing somewhere. So okay, okay. Well, that would have been you know Threadbow Parashar or or um Balls Creek. Or... Exactly. It was Threadbow. Thread, yeah. Threadbow. Oh, was there you go. West. Threadbow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you know the, the funny thing is that Australians Australians are the number one international inbound ski market to North America to British Columbia, to Utah, to Colorado. We're top three for Wyoming, for Jackson Hole. And we're number one to Japan. We're number one to New Zealand. We are the market that all of North American ski resorts, Japanese ski resorts, and New Zealand ski resorts want. Now, obviously, there are way more British that go to Europe than there is Australians. But you you speak to people in Aspen, like the ex-CEO of Aspen, Mike Kaplan, awesome guy, he would openly say, you know, if it wasn't for Australians in January, we wouldn't break even. Wow. I'm like, all right, oh my god. So there, I thought there's a market. Um, I'm going to, you know, and also I had wasn't really a skier, and I'd taken it up as a ski, as a as a travel journalist, and thought I was really good at it because the ski instructor told me I was. Um, I was crap at it, and <laughs> I tried to ski with the, tried to ski with the Prime Minister of New Zealand, um, and to open a chairlift and. She got down to the chairlift, cut the red ribbon, got on the chairlift, went to the top, skied down, got into a helicopter and left before I had even managed to fall down the slope to the chairlift. And I was there, the reason, well, I wasn't the reason she was there, that's for sure. But she was the reason I was there and I was supposed to ski with her. And no one, they were just like, who is this psychotic Australian journalist who can't ski for shit? Like, what is she doing here? So 
I then went, okay, humiliate. Yeah, you know, Australians don't like to be humiliated in front of the Kiwis, that's for sure. So we then, unless it's the rugby, and so we then, which I think they're about to be humiliated by you guys, hopefully, but let's not talk about that. So anyway, there am I in New Zealand going, humiliation, humiliation. I turned to all the Kiwis and I said, see all these runs around here. I was at Cardrona. See every run you can see from the chairlift. They're like, yep. I said, I'm going to come back this season. I'm going to ski every single one of those runs. Wow. And I went off the chairlift to the left and went back down the green run. They went off the chairlift to the right and went off to the blacks. Oh my and gosh. I came back. I came back this season. I skied all those runs wow. because I went, how do I, how do I get to do this for free? This is expensive. I'm going to become a ski journo. Wow. And I got 250 hours of private instruction for free. So as a ski journalist, so that over two years, so that I could end up heli skiing. So I could go to a mountain, able to ski the entire mountain. So I could write about the entire mountain. I could talk about the experiences of all the runs on a mountain. Um, and that's pretty much how it happened. Wow. So I'm in Australia. I end up skiing New Zealand and then I end up going to Colorado and I come back and every se Northern season, I would go somewhere like Europe or Japan or Canada or America. And then, and then I would come back and I would do Australia and New Zealand. Wow. And then after my mother died, I thought I saw signs from my dead mother on the other side, from the other side, telling me that I needed to pack up my life and move to Colorado. Wow. And so I did. I mean, I was sitting, I'd been on a trip to Telluride. My mother's name was Joy. And I'd been on this trip to Telluride and I'd taken a friend with me and we were in Colorado and Telluride and everywhere we turned, I just, all I saw was the word joy everywhere. Never mind that it happened to be after Christmas and joy happens to be quite a famous Christmas word in the windows. I'm like, oh my God, it's a sign. Oh my God, it's a sign. But there was this one day that we went to this pub and we weren't supposed to be in this pub. We were supposed to be in another one. Um, they don't call them pubs there though. And there was a guy standing there and my friend said, oh my God, look what he's wearing. And he had this t-shirt on and it said under the spell of joy. Wow. And I said to him, what are you doing with that t-shirt? He said, I don't know what I'm doing in this bar. I'm supposed to be meeting a friend and I'm in the wrong bar. We said, oh, we're supposed to be meeting friends. We're in the wrong bar too. I said, where did you get that T-shirt? He said, oh, it's my friend's band and there's only two of these T-shirts in the world. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, this is definitely a sign. Oh so when God. I got back to Australia, in grief, when I got back to Australia, I was sitting in a, sitting in a car. It was pissing down rain and Xavier Rudd's um, Follow the Sun song came on. Do you know that? Follow, follow, follow the sun. The I was supposed to, yeah. I remember I was saying to, I was supposed to go to see Xavier Rudd in oh. concert um, yep. with my brother on the 25th of September, yep. 2007. Oh. And I know the date oh. because we decided not to go because my dad died that night. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So that was my memory. Right. We, we kind of bonded over that oh, as well. Spooky. But yeah, I know. I know. Spooky. I know. So he, um, yeah, that's, yeah, we both got connections with him. I, I, my mother, when she was on her deathbed said to me, look for me on the wind. And the year of my mother's death, the Xavier Rudd song, as you know, was, was the year of her death for me. And so when I was sitting there at the traffic lights and it came, this song came on and, and when it got to which way the wind blows, what does your heart say? I looked up and there's a car in front of me that has a red show plate and it says COL75V and I go, bingo. Colorado, I-70 to Vail. That's where I'm going. Wow. And so, so yeah. I go home, I book a one-way ticket to Colorado and I start selling every single thing I own, everything. And I get yeah. it down to two suitcases and I off I fly to America, one-way ticket. 
convinced I'm going to write a book called Kiss Me Like a Cowboy, Searching for Joy in Colorado, get to America, 10 months later, haven't met a cowboy, haven't kissed a cowboy, haven't written the book. I've changed the title from Kiss Me Like a Cowboy, Searching for Joy in Colorado to America, You're Killing Me. I've actually (laughs) edited the number of words down. My word count is so low. And then I've gone, oh, my God, I have to write. What am I going to do? And I find this place in Chamonix in the French Alps, which is a three-week writer's retreat. Go off there on my own. And, you know, Cheryl Strayed, who wrote Wild, was supposed to be there and all these other people. I had seen a psychic in Australia before I left, who well, actually a medium, who had said all these things to me. She was really freaky. Like she knew my sister's name. She knew the name of my best friend who died. She knew all of these things. I just don't know how she could have. She knew my grandfather's name. Um, and she had told me that I was going to the south of France. And I said, I'm not going to the south of France. I'm going to Colorado. Anyway, I ended up in Chamonix. Didn't love this course because I was there to write words. And instead we were critiquing. And they, because they were all Americans who did this, this MFA, um, which was, you know, Master of Fine Arts. Mm. I think that's what they call it, where you become a writer at the Idaho Writers, whatever it is. And I shouldn't take the piss, but I really just used to call it Masters of Master of Fuck All, to be honest, Uh, because they all become teachers. And they all looked at me like I was this ridiculous Australian woman who'd rocked up out of nowhere, who did not understand that a workshop meant we sat around and read each other's work and critiqued it. I'm like, no, no, that's what an editor does. That's what I get paid to do. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to write. And then this one guy who was running it said to me, oh, that's right. You haven't done an MFA. Oh, for God's sake. And I looked at him, I said, no, that's right. You don't have two books published by Random House, do you? So (laughs) it was just, it was hilarious. It was such a nightmare. And there was this narcissistic male who split all the women between menopausal women and young women, didn't talk to the menopausal women, only wanted to sleep with the young women. Oh you know, he was like in his 50s. It was a nightmare. So I just went, okay, I'm out. I'm out. I need to get somewhere. And, of course, that's when I ended up in Labastides Barbarank wow. um, because I Googled it. And then where the hell is Labastides Barbarank? It's in the south of France. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Anyway, I'm not sure if I've answered your question, but that's geographically. <laughs> but was, that geographically. was very entertaining. I loved it. I love it. So um, then I went I, back to Utah and lived in Utah. Yep. Can I ask you, though, so, like, you sort of said um, – you said earlier, you know, one of your your kind of natural reactions was to kind of to run, right? So obviously yeah. in your grief as well, this kind of mm-hmm. this this was a, a a run that you were doing. But also you said, mm. I thought I saw these signs from my mother. And I remember when we met, I think that was still very much what you believed. And, you know, we talked a lot about joy oh. and you you talked a lot about your mom and 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 I'm very much a sign person as well. In hindsight now, do you believe that that's still what it was or has your opinion uh, on that changed? I, I, it's a, such a good question because I don't know, because I, I don't know. I believed so deeply and so many things that so many weird things happened that it couldn't be anything else but signs. And I did believe it. but. I also think, you know, I COL 70V, I, you know, Colorado, I 70 Val, I would have only known that if I was a ski journalist, right? Mm, mm. So was I manipulating that because I wanted out? Yes. I don't know. Um, yes. uh, and, you know, since then I, I moved back to Australia just before COVID because my dad then fell ill with the same cancer my mother had, weirdly. Um, excuse me. And I ended up dating a guy who was so... Actually, he was an ex-Jehovah, 
So he was an ex-cult member because, you know, I obviously thought my father's dying, good time to start a relationship with a man 12 years younger than me who's an ex, you know, stepped out of a cult. Yeah, wise move, Rachel, really wise move. <laughs> anyway, so and he was so anti-signs because he was so anti-anything because he'd been so damaged by the spirituality or the, the faux spirituality that I just went, yeah, yeah, you're right, no signs, no signs whatsoever. Yeah, mm. because I was just malleable and just changing what I thought in a people-pleasing way. Now I look back, I think when after my mother died, I really energetically felt her. I did energetically feel her. And I really struggled because I, I hadn't ever had anybody close to me die. And, you know, I wrote 40,000 words at La Muse. I haven't written four words since, just quietly. But then, <laughs> but then after my dad died, I energetically have not felt him anywhere. Right. Not at all. Right. So, um, I, you know, I do believe in energy. I do believe in energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think we look for signs when we are maybe looking for answers, when we're maybe feeling a little bit vulnerable about something. We're not maybe sure. Maybe we're looking for clarity. Maybe we're trying to figure out what our next move is. I mean, you talked briefly before we started around the idea mm. from a solo perspective, being this kind of adult orphan as you mm -hmm. kind of described it um mm. you know I still have my mum and I you know I, I I dread the day that 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 we lose her um which we know is that kind of inevitability if you outlive your parents yeah. if your parents outlive you um and uh equally I'm dreading the day when I lose Molly my little mm. dog because she's my little fur yeah. baby and I know that that's an, an inevitability as well and so this idea of like impending grief and sorrow that we know is all is going to come and how Every, even though like almost everybody on this planet experiences parent grief or at some point loses both mm -hmm. parents, it profoundly affects people um, so sometimes detrimentally that it, it, it alters the course of their whole life, even though we know that this is coming down the tracks, right? This idea of, of, of losing people that you love. And, um, you know, you talked about it sort of changing. And I mean, I think also, I think important to note that Subsequently, after your plan of moving to Colorado and meeting a cowboy, Brexit happened, <laughs> Trump happened, you know, all of these kinds of things oh. happened that would inevitably kind of change that idea of like maybe living in America. And, and you know, you're so uh, we are very politically aligned in our thinking, you and I, Rachel, about those kinds of things. So I know how it it, it But I stayed us. on. I stayed on when Trump. Yeah. I mean, I, I still stayed on. Wow. I, I, I stayed on like I, I sorry I can't even finish that sentence yeah yeah well because yeah, that, that, that was know, after I stayed Love on yeah because yeah, you went that back. was after Love Estate yes yeah but when back. we were in Love Estate the the friend we had the, the the bombings in in Paris that's right in France remember yes, when we yes. were in, in Love Estate and yeah. um and then I went back and then Trump got in and I remember sitting there and we've got a very similar, well, nothing similar at all, but similar in some ways in Australia happening this current weekend. By the time this goes to air, I'm assuming that we probably will know. Um, we have a referendum coming up for an Indigenous voice in our constitution, um, and it's called The Voice, and we have to vote yes or no. Right. And it is it the campaigning has been horrendous and it reminds me of the black and white of of Trump and the division of Trump and and how he manipulated 
the world to into believing fake news, which was really real news, um, yeah. and how we all got really confused as what was fake and what was real. And going into that election, in sitting in America, going, oh, my God, this is great. I'm going to be in the States. I was living in Utah in Park City, a ski town. I'm going, I'm going to sit here and watch history as America's first female president. And all the polls were saying, yeah, female president. And they're just sitting there watching it go, what? Huh? What? Huh? Huh? And everyone what? And then the next morning, going outside, and I lived in a small boutique apartment block of four apartments, and there was a woman standing in the car park, and she was sobbing. And I looked at her, I went, are you okay? I didn't know her from a bar of soap. And she just goes, no. And so I hugged her. She goes, what are we going to do? And I said, well, I've got an Australian passport. I know what I'm doing. So, but I didn't do it. I still stayed, so I lied wow. anyway. But I keep saying here in Australia, the polls are saying that, that Australia is going to vote no, we will not recognise and acknowledge our First wow. Nations people, our Indigenous and Torres Strait Islanders in Australia and our constitution. Ooh. We will not acknowledge them. Ooh. I keep saying to people, polls mean nothing. Yeah. Look at the polls when Hillary was going to win, but Trump got in. Do not believe them. We are going to say yes, it's going to happen. We have to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and I do believe the world is very divisive and very divided at the moment and very black and white. And, and there is a lot of trauma particularly post-COVID, there's a lot of trauma in that world and it, well, our world and how we react to it, like, as I said, I would run in grief. Mm. Um, becoming an adult orphan has changed my life intrinsically and which is a very weird thing to say when you're a middle-aged person mm. because it's a natural law of life that your parents die. Mm. Like when your parent dies, like for you, when someone died, your father died when you were much younger, I mean, that's not, that's not the universal law. Mm. That's an intrinsic shift. And no one explains to you that when you actually become an adult orphan, that is another intrinsic shift, even though it's a natural part of life. And being stuck in COVID, being in lockdown mm. with grief on my own, being solo on my own, living in my father's house, mm. you know, refurbing his house to get it for sale. Um, my business went under, my ski business went under during that time. It's back up now, thank God. Um, and living in a town that I didn't grow up in, with my own grief, on my own, with fractured family crap that goes on after someone dies, that was a real test of, hey, you you can't run and you can't shut down. You have no choice. You can't run. It's impossible. Borders are shut. And you can't shut down because this has got to get done. Wow. So you're just going to have to sit with the trauma. Was and I think this was interesting for the world. Was that COVID. the first time that you've had to sit with the trauma, do you think, that you couldn't leave, that you couldn't win? How was that for you? Look, I have right now, I've got the itchiest feet known to man. I just want to run mm. um, at the moment because this is the longest I've been in one place on mm. my own. Mm. But, you know, I, like you, I, I believe in in self-work. I have a really great therapist. I've got a great money coach. I've got all these wonderful people that are helping me process mm. what is really that wonderful experience of which sounds terrible but the trauma in your cells of your body that you know the body keeps the score and that it doesn't matter what age you are until you've released it it's still going to keep coming back mm. and you know I had eating disorders as a child I'm middle-aged right now I think I'm in the throes of another eating disorder and that's a really I've not said that out loud in a public space and that's a really challenging thing for me mm. because what it actually is it's people think oh you've got to work on the food no 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 you don't you've mm. got to work on the cause why why why? What happens? Why are you in panic? Where does the panic come from? Where does, when is the most familiar time that you felt this panic first? When was it? Mm. When was it? Mm. Go back, heal that. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I know there's so yeah. much. And like- that's the kind of stuff if you want to talk about being solo and being empowered, that's the only kind of stuff you can do on your own. Yeah, 100%. 100% and my goodness sorry thank you. Ariana what you said that you know there's so much work no I was saying thank you so much for sharing all of that with us mm. but I you know I mean like that's it's it, you know it, my mom always says you know we come into this world alone and we leave this world alone and this is the kind of why I wanted to do this podcast is to try to empower yeah. people with the idea of 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 being on their own and doing things on their own because no matter what there are going to be times in our lives when even if we are surrounded by people by Mm -hmm. friends by family the work the work that we need to do on ourselves Mm. can only be done on ourselves and Mm -hmm. you know we we are the ones that you know I, 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 I I know the feeling of kind of wanting to get away from yourself sometimes you know that idea of like oh you're just annoying yourself so much you just want to yeah. be away from your thoughts where you you can never be you know and so you know the mm-hmm. one the the great I always say the greatest relationship we'll ever have is the one that we have with ourselves and so many people don't get that opportunity and then something happens in their life a trauma or a loss or a grief and mm-hmm. they're so shocked by it um, mm. that they find it very hard to deal with because mm. we are so conditioned to sort of live in this kind of like tribal mentality from where we come from, from the cavemen. And I totally get that. It's important to be part of a community and it's important to feel like you belong to a part of a community. But but ultimately, we are in this world alone. Um, and, you know, in terms of like, I, I just want to touch and I, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want you to be upset. But if you can kind of like talk about it in the sense of what you <laughs> mentioned. What you mentioned yeah. was like the intrinsic shift of becoming a, an adult orphan. Like, what do you mean by that? What, what, uh, yeah. what, what are those yeah. things? Well, one, one thing that happens is, uh, you know, I mean, with grief, grief is, is we, as anybody who has experienced knows it's not linear and, and mm. it comes and it goes and it stays for a long time. It stays for a short time. It can appear as, as a giant monster. It can appear as a, a small raindrop. Mm. Um, uh, the idea that you have nobody behind you, that in an ideal world, you had a some form, even if it was dysfunctional, you had some form of familial support mm. or some form of relationship with your parents. When they're gone, your ballast has gone. Your connection to what came before you has physically gone. Mm. So you have to really find an emotional energetic connection to what came before you and that may mean healing what came before you as well Mm. um if you like me don't have children then you don't have that either you don't have that next generation that's coming after you so you really can feel like a solo um uh ship in the middle of a, of a, a drowning ocean never mm. sure which way you can go because you can't steer yourself mm. so that idea that you're it this is it not only are you it you're the next one to go but you're it if you don't know how to have your own back there is no one else there that's got it your safety net has gone so if you haven't done the work you all of a sudden find you got to do the work again Mm -hmm. even when you think you've done the work here's the work again right here it comes and it is um to me being an it's it's adulting 
it's adulting and you know most of us don't like to adult we'd like to stay a child it's that's mm-hmm. hard and and adulting yourself is really hard like going oh my god having a good hard word to yourself every now and again and also being kind being kind to yourself and hugging yourself at night and mm-hmm. trying to soothe yourself i realized i did not understand how to self soothe i did not understand that and i didn't under- all i knew for self soothing was run or shut down mm-hmm. eat or go to the gym or travel, travel, travel. Or um, you know, if I was an alcoholic, um, it would have been booze. If I was a drug addict, it would have been drugs. But mm. for me, it was always food. Mm. Um, so it would be binge eat or don't eat. Um, being an adult orphan is, um, I, I remember when somebody said to me, I said, look, I've got this, you know, my dad's going to die. That's fine. I get that because, he, you know, he, I came down here and he was quite ill. Um, I get that, but you know, I've gone through my mother's death. I know what grief's about. Mm. So, no, people who'd lost both parents said to me, You have no idea what's about to happen. Mm. Absolutely none. You think you do, you have no idea. Wow. And they were right. And it's two years down the track. And I still sit here sometimes and go, What? What? Hang on, huh? I, what? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's no home to go back to, mm. there's no person to ring. And go, that's just going to get you. That's just going to say, yes, I love you unconditionally, which is what your parents do. Your siblings don't love you unconditionally, but your parents do. Your parents do. Mm. Yeah, The way you would with your own children as well. It's so interesting, you know, when you talk about that idea of being this solo, this sort of solo ship in a vast ocean. And then when you talk about the Mm. the eating disorder and, and you talk about, you know, the current situation that you might be that you kind of mentioned Obviously, you know, I don't Mm. need to tell you, but uh, the way eating disorders is all about control. So it's this idea of being in this visual that you created for me there, this ship in this in this ocean that's just being knocked around by the waves and that this kind Mm. of desire to try to take back Mm. control or to try to, you know, hold on to that, you know, is comes in the form of for you. Yeah, but that's that would be if I was anorexic. That's that would be. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that would be if I was anorexic. So when I was anorexic as a teenager, I I was very rigid, very rigid, and it was all about control. Mm. But as an adult, I find that my disordered eating that I have at the moment is akin to binge eating disorder, mm. So, which is an eating disorder which isn't spoken about a lot. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, I've been bulimic, I've been bulimorexic, I've been a gym addict, I've been, you know, anorexic. Throughout, you know, most recently... I would say I have in, in recent times, as in the last this year, I would say I've had binge eating disorder, hundred percent panic that has taken me back to, and the panic is that I'm not going to be able to do this, that I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to be able to look after myself, that I'm not going to be able to stand on my own, mm-hmm. that I'm not going to be able to live the rest of my life without that safety net. And the panic makes me eat and the eating is a way of disconnecting with that panic because it, mm. it the eating will um, uh, numb the panic because you're eating gluten and you're eating sugar and that numbs your, your neurotransmitters and shuts you down. Um, and it also immediately helps bring that cortisol of panic down as well. So there is a, a physiological reason for it, but really it's a psychological reason, which is I just want out. I, I just want out. I, I don't want to know about this, um, which is not the way through. The only way through is to constantly look at it, work on it, unpack it. It's difficult, but I've done this before. So I know that I'll come out the other end. I'll be fine. But um, 
when you're in the thick of it, it's mm. not very pleasant. None of it's yeah. pleasant. You know that you sit in a therapy session. That's really hard. It's hard. It's it's um it's not pleasant. It's just it's just you know it's so interesting because you know you talked about doing the work on yourself. Talked about doing the therapy. You you wrote your two books, which were which were about mm. your eating disorders. You know you've you've been mm. public about it. You've talked about it. You've helped other people with your experience about it. Mm. Um. But, you know, here here you are again talking about and I remember actually when your dad was sick and, you know, I remember yeah. seeing on Insta on, on Facebook, you were kind of doing this really, really strict, like no sugar diet. And, you know, you were kind of talking and I remember worrying about you a little bit then and kind of thinking, oh, Aww, is there some kind of food thing happening here as well? And and I, I think but it's, you know, it's just it's it's interesting because when you've done the work you're so knowledgeable about, about it you're, you're talking mm. there about what you're feeling why you're doing it you mm. know and so the the obvious question for anyone listening to that is like well why do it then why are why are you doing it when you're so knowledgeable but actually it's because we evolve we grow we never stop changing life keeps happening right. to us and as our life changes and as our and as we evolve so too do the the so too is the work that we need to do on ourselves right it doesn't mean that it ever goes mm. away it's just a different version of ourselves that now has to deal with this other thing that we're now having to deal with um and it is just a constant constant process isn't it well I think you'll go to your default so mm. when you've got it, it might not be the same problem or the same issue um it'll be a different problem or a different issue and if it's unmanageable for you you will you will fall back to your default. So if your default when you were younger was, oh, I don't know, to go into a, a dysfunctional relationship with someone to try to get away from yourself, you'll go do that, et cetera, or, mm. or whatever your thing is. That's interesting about the stuff where my dad was dying because I find social media really interesting because I'm going to tell you what was actually happening there. And social media is such a mind um screw up you know because I was putting up on social I started dating this guy and he was he would send me love letters through my letterbox and those love letters was keto food because he would eat keto so I would wake up and I would go to my letterbox and there would be um keto cupcakes or keto Ikea cake or keto beef cheeks or keto whatever and I would take photos of them and put them up on social media but it didn't mean that's all I was eating. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that's all I was eating at all. I was like, you know, stupid. Well, not stupidly. I was distracting myself from extreme grief by falling in love with somebody that every red flag would have come up if I wasn't grieving. Mm. So, um, around that time, I would constantly put up photos of keto stuff. It's so true. I did. You're mm -hmm. right. Um, and you know, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. I just like, yeah, it's, it's just when you're talking about there and again, you know, the whole solo concept, mm. the whole solo concept of this podcast, again, that mm. idea of being single by choice, um, you know, mm. being happy with, yourself and not feeling like we need to be in a relationship because everybody else is in a relationship or feeling like we need to be in a relationship because we are we are feeling yep. on our own or we're feeling grief etc because yep. like I say those red flags they do happen and then people find themselves in bad relationships coercively controlled relationships mm -hmm. or relationships where they feel 
that even though the the relate that you know I, I hear people talking about being in these awful terrible unhappy relationships but they're staying in them because they are afraid of being single yes. like as if being single is yes. something to fear when actually that is because of society puts out this idea mm-hmm. that being by yourself there must be something wrong with you there must be just must be so weird you must be so lonely you must be so sad and actually what I want to try and showcase is like I'm not weird I'm not sad I'm not lonely <laughs> I love <laughs> being so weird I think weird, fan- I think weird is fantastic and oh, yeah. I think imagine your apartment right imagine your apartment if you were living with a partner that you were in love with and you had to compromise on what your on what your um decor scheme was going to be (laughs) I don't think I could do that I don't really don't think I could I I just you know there are certain things that I just go oh it's so wonderful to be on my own and then but then there are other other moments like dinner parties when it's all just couples and you're not invited that Mm. that are not so great Mm. um no of course to go of course. And yeah. I think it's important, you know, of course, like I I love, I, I think the, the point is that I love being single. And I'm happy being single. Of course, yeah. there are pros and cons for, for both cases. And of mm. course, if I, you know, I remember talking to some friends recently and I just sort of said, look, the way I am at the moment is if I'm out on a night out or I'm in a bar and some wonderful yep. man who's handsome, who I who I like fancy initially when I see him comes up and talks to me and is interested in me and, and is interesting in return and, you know, isn't sort of sleazy and is interested in knowing a bit about me and says to me, I'd love to take you out for a drink and have another conversation. Yep. Brilliant absolutely I'm open for that right that sounds like a plausible very easy scenario (laughs) actually that is like a fucking (laughs) unicorn in this world right right? so my point is see you're younger than I am I thought it would be easy oh my god (laughs) I can't remember and like no and so but the point is that if that happens Mm. brilliant I would love I would love that to happen that would be wonderful Mm. I'm I've stopped looking for I've stopped going on the dating the dating apps I've stopped kind of like feeling this idea of like if I'm not there this event then maybe that person I'm supposed to meet would be there and you know putting yourself under all this pressure Mm -hmm. I I'm perfectly content with my life and it's a fantastic place to be where I am right now and that might change Mm -hmm. something like that might change who knows but it's this idea of like not searching for love and not, yes, yes. you know, sort of feeling like it, it, it it's going to pop up because ultimately, you know, we have to be content with who we are. And if something wonderful comes into our life, be open to it, but it not mm-hmm. being be all and end all that makes us happy. That's, that's my position on love at the moment. Have you, do you follow Gillian Turecki? No. Oh my God. You have to follow her. She is so good. She is so brilliant. She's American. Um, she just puts up those little Insta slides with like a, a gem of a sentence and you just go, <laughs> oh, my God, that's me. Or, oh, my God, yes, you're so right. And it's about being being holistically single mm. and about being whole as a single person. Mm. And it's about um, relationships and, and when you are in them, what, what looks like a green flag, what looks like a red flag. She's absolutely brilliant. I, I can't rave about her enough. I have been following a few relationship people like Gillian, like um, Sylvie Kukasan, do you follow mm. her, Brian Reeves, mm. Mark Groves, all of those people. I'm not sure why because I'm not specifically looking for a relationship, but I want the skills for when I am in one again mm. Mm. to 
actually make it a healthy one. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in terms of your situation now, where you're living, mm-hmm. living in your dad's place, I mean, how? how... No, I'm not in my dad's house oh, anymore. So you're not, but you're in the town where no. he lives. Yeah, yeah. I live in. I live. I bought a really cute little cottage, which is, um, gosh, really not me, but also me. It's. <laughs> I, I don't know how I describe it. So, it's like a 1910 cottage. Oh, seriously, my mother would love it. Wow. Um, it's gorgeous. It's it's really sweet, but it's only a little two bedroom. But I've got a third bedroom being built with a studio, etc. And, you know, it's all black on the outside with white trim and it's got a garden. And I spend my weekends um, killing plants uh, now. That's my new life. Sounds like somewhere a Helen Bonham Carter would live. (laughs) Sounds like somewhere a Helen, Helen, Helena Bonham Carter would live. Well, I do have, I do have like a gin bar. So maybe um, (laughs) it's, um, yeah, look, it does sound like that. It sounds very romantic, but it's not. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, who knows what I'm going to do? And are you gonna? Are you sa- right are now. you settled now? I mean, I know you said that you've kind of got <laughs> itchy feet, but are you? I hate that word. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I hate that word too. Yeah. I used to say, I used to say to people because people would always say to me, "Oh, you'll stop traveling. When are you going to settle down?" And I'd look at them and go, "What would you say if I told you I'm very settled mm. with an unsettled life?" Mm. Mm. And they went, "What do you mean?" And I said. I'm settled with an unsettled life. I like an unsettled life. Mm, mm. I like it. But then when my parents died, I didn't like it. I felt very awash. I needed roots. Mm. I needed roots. I needed mm. I needed to feel the earth beneath my feet. I needed something solid. And so I bought a house and just went, okay, um, I can always come back to that. I have yes. to build a home for myself. I can always come yes. back to my own home. I can yeah. travel, but I can come back to my own home. Yep. Yeah, that's how I felt last year when I traveled around Europe with Molly and, and, you know, I had, that was amazing. I had, I had bought my apartment and, you know, I knew that I could just like rent it out and then come back whenever I wanted. And I was able to keep my stuff here in storage and my things were here. So very different from when you're deciding to travel, when you're living in a rental accommodation, because you have to pack up everything and you have to, you know, everything changes. Whereas when you have that solid base, it means that you, yeah, exactly. You have, you have something to come back to and. I was so happy coming home, you know, even though I had an incredible year coming home, I was really happy about it because I was coming back to my own home comforts and my own things. And, you know, it's again like that. That was amazing, though. Amazing. Going off around Europe with your dog on your own and all those people you met and Mm. the stories you told along the way on your social media. It was just so inspiring. Mm, thank you thanks really I mean, fantastic. Look, it was yeah I mean for me I didn't feel like it was inspiring for me it was just something that I wanted mm. to do but subsequently I have had a lot of people sort of saying that that it was inspiring and it inspired them to do you know do so solo traveling mm-hmm. or inspired them to take some time out and 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 everybody and I suppose the thing about it is Rachel is that you know what you're talking about there that idea of settled and being unsettled and all of that I mean so many people would say to me you know you're you're just living the dream you're living the dream what amazing (laughs) and I just was like you know the realization very quickly hit me that there is no dream you know that 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 the reality of life is the reality of life wherever you are you are you can never even if you're traveling and you think this whole idea of like living in the sun and meeting new people and all of that kind of stuff but you still wake up grumpy or you still wake up hungover you still have to pick up the dog shit off the ground like all of those like <laughs> life is still life wherever you are you know yeah. <laughs> and this you can't idea, outrun it 
No, and this idea that people no. have of like, oh, suddenly you're in a different place, so therefore you're living the dream. It's my my. I remember just sort of saying, you know, like let's take these things off that pedestal. I had I had mm-hmm. someone reach out to me and say that her she wanted to go live her dream, and her dream was to live in in Spain, and it was to you know go to the beach every day and do yoga <clears> on the <throat> beach and all of this kind of thing. And I remember just sort of saying to her, take this down off the pedestal of being the dream. Like it's it, it yep. so long as it's up there on that dream pedestal, it, it's very difficult for that to become a reality. Whereas what you're describing is very, very plausible. It's a very yeah, you can do real that yeah. thing that you can do. But so long as it's on this dream pedestal, you're kind of putting it out of reach. Um, and actually, the, the, everything that we do, we 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 can just do. We can just make a decision to do it. <laughs> and and I know. Well, I, I think know, we're privileged to be able. To I, do what that. I was just yeah. about to say, yeah. I know. I need to check check privilege there. Of course, of yeah. course. You know, we, we with 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 privilege comes greater opportunity. I understand that. Yeah. That yeah. being said, you know, when you listen to podcasts and you listen to the majority of successful people have come from poverty, have come from nothing, have come from situations where they've had to kind of like raise themselves up, 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 up that rank. You know, I was poor as a child, you know, mm. and, you know, so like we, 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 we also have to believe that things are possible and that if we live in sort of meritocracies and that we're, we're in that position of being able to try, at least try and, and do the things that we want to do in life. Life, rather than getting be- out of poverty is a, a, a great motivator yes exactly exactly mm. um but mm. getting out of any trauma is a great motivator um getting out of any kind of situation where we don't want to be in is 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 a, is a great motivator so are you what's your ski situation mm-hmm. at the moment are you still are you, <laughs> yeah oh god what's my ski situation it's such a great question so um you know my my website is still we, we're very lucky you know I, we have created the um, you know, the leading digital publishing platform in Australia for skiers and snowboarders that travel. And that takes a lot of work. Um, and during between seasons, northern and southern season is, you know, a little bit of breathing space, which is good. Mm-hmm. So I'm right now trying to decide where I'm actually going to go this northern hemisphere. Last northern hemisphere, I went to Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, this northern hemisphere, I'm thinking of going back to America and maybe doing Big Sky and Aspen and Crested Butte, Sun Valley, maybe then going over to Europe and maybe going to Switzerland and perhaps you can come over and skate with me. That'd be good. Oh my God, absolutely. Go to Zermatt. 100%. Yeah. I will literally yeah, just thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like a few few weeks ago, I would love to go skiing. I, the, I, la- yeah, I was in Chamonix. I did I did a ski season in, mm-hmm. in, ski in Chamonix before, but yeah, would absolutely come wherever you mm. are and ski with you. Well, I'll let you know. I'll let mm. you know where I'll be. So, um, yeah, but you know, it's a lot when you own your own business mm-hmm. and you're traveling for that business and running that business while on the road. It's a lot. Now, obviously, it's very hard to complain about your job when your job is a dream job. <laughs> when people go, what do you do? Oh, I travel the world to go skiing or I travel the world for my job like you do. Um, but, you know, there is it, there are big challenges with that, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. as you get older. My body's also kind of falling apart a bit, you know. I'm getting arthritis in my left knee. Mm. I'm going, I've got hip issues. I'm kind of like, if somebody said to me right now, do you want to go heli skiing for seven days? I think I'd be like, 
oh, could I just go for like an hour? <laughs> Sorry, and just to, just to clarify yeah. for any non-skiers, yeah. you mentioned heli-skiing. Yeah. Explain what oh, heli-skiing yeah. is. because you. Well, you get into a helicopter. Most people, look, people that heli-ski would like you to think that you get into a helicopter like James Bond and you jump from the helicopter with your skis on onto a mountain and ski down. You don't do that at all. You get into a helicopter um, your skis are on the outside of the chopper. The chopper goes to the top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. You are surrounded by remote peaks filled with powder snow. You get out of the chopper. Uh, the chopper flies away. You click into your skis. You follow a ski guide down the mountain. You get into the chopper at the bottom. It takes you up again. You do it again on different places. Then you have lunch on the mountain. Then you do it all afternoon and then you um, come back. But the last time I did that, I had actually, just speaking of trauma, just reminded me, I actually went skiing in Park City with a ski instructor who died in front of me. Oh my God. And he was, he had been skiing for 41 years of his life, a ski instructor for 41 years of his life, top level ski instructor. We'd been skiing with him for three days and he died in front of us and we had to try to save him. Now I ended up with post-trauma from that experience. It was really full on. Didn't realize I had post-trauma. Didn't realize that the hot and cold flushes of, of getting into a room filled with people were, were actually, was actually trauma responses. That the fact that I wanted to bolt all the time was trauma responses. Wow. I just thought it was just my natural state. But they, um, uh, when I went heli skiing, I froze halfway down the mountain because somebody had called out cliff. And the thing about post-trauma and also just any kind of trauma, I think, is that ability to feel safe mm. and not feeling safe is what sends you into that trauma panic. Mm. And so I ended up coming down the slope on my ass because I was so petrified of going over a cliff. Mm. And this is somebody I've done like, you know, six weeks of heli skiing in my life. And and that's, that's what that post-trauma did to me. Mm. It put me in a state of flight, fight, freeze or fawn and I froze. Oh, and, I, and that, the, only, the yep. first and only experience that I've ever had mm. of freeze, yep. because I teach about trauma responses as part of yeah. my coach, coach training. The only experience I've awesome. ever had of freeze was in mm. Chamonix. The first time I went skiing, we were taken to Italy for one of the days and we were, I was taken onto, I had yeah. only been doing like the bunny slopes and we were taken to like a blue or a red slope and we had to lateral probably yeah yes exactly yeah yeah and I I fell and I tumbled and I was you know trying to hold on to the mountain and I was just falling <laughs> falling down and I could just see the edge of a cliff kind of coming in you know oh, in my God. periphery and I was <clears> crying and then eventually I you know I stopped and I and I lived but I when I stood up I was in complete and utter paralysis yeah. I mean my body yeah. would not move it was insane yeah. I was shouting at myself like There's nothing you could do move. Mm. no my body yep. just was like no we're out we're out nope. we're, we're saving nope. you here there's a dangerous yep. situation happening and yep. my brain just sent all of the neurotransmitters to my limbs yep. and, and it I couldn't move it was in yeah it's amazing yep. when that happens. It's phenomenal, you know, isn't it? Yeah, and you know what? Phenomenal. You know, I actually skied about three months later. I was skiing at the mountain where this guy had died. I'd completely forgotten because, you know, I've been skiing all of, I'm not that I've forgotten he died, but um, I just was just skiing with friends, having a good laugh. And when we got to the bottom of the mountain, I was shaking from head to toe. And I went, wow. oh my God, I can't stop shaking. And they said, when did that start? I said, I started as soon as, just up there, I started shaking. I went, oh my God, that's where he died. Wow. So the, my cells of my body Remembers. remembered because the trauma yeah. cells remember. And, you know, mm. that wonderful book called The Body Keeps the Score, mm. which is all about trauma in the body. Mm. Um, yeah, amazing amazing mm. I didn't remember but my body did wow wow mm. wow mm. 
Well, that's just, you know, it goes to, I suppose, everything that we've been talking about, you know, sort of that idea that the body does know the score, that there is like work that we are constantly having to do on ourselves, that, you know, Mm -hmm. we can be a settled person while still, you know, being traveling all around the world, you know, and also and also there's nothing to say that settling down and being in the one place again like I like I talk about with that kind of idea of living the dream that idea that's happening yeah. down and living in one place suddenly makes you safe like suddenly makes everything better like oh. that isn't necessarily the case for people either because people start to feel trapped and they start to feel like that they they have this desire to kind of get away and you know I think we can coexist in this world as people who are like you say a very happy unsettled settled person right who if we can if we can tap into the safety because for me it is about that feeling of security and safety how do you provide that for yourself come what may mm-hmm. no matter what happens around you and no matter if 9-11 happens around you if um the recent Israeli terrorist attacks happen around you mm-hmm. if the um if COVID happens around you if this happens around you how can you tap into your own personal inner world to ensure that you tell your inner child that you are safe Mm. that you are secure that you've got your own back and Mm. that is a lifelong lesson Mm. Mm. god I wish we had the answer to that question (laughs) Mm. Mm. bit by bit yeah, we'd all be millionaires. But I, I, I fear, personally feel when I was listening to that yep. that it does come with that that idea of being secure in yourself. That yes, you know, 100%. being secure and safe, and you know, being your own anchor. Because when I think yep. when we rely too much on other anchors, and when those anchors are removed from us, that's when we become adrift. So I think being your own anchor being comfortable with who you are being happy with who you are loving yourself knowing yourself yep knowing that you will and also knowing that you change and evolve and that's okay too you know people think I knew my, when I when you know yourself at 20 and then at 30 you go I don't even know myself anymore or you know when when women have babies and they go I don't even know myself anymore it's just you just have to get to know a new version of yourself you know yeah. that you you're not yeah. you're not changed you're just still you know you yeah you are changed but you're still you it's just a different version you know and I think people go are always looking trying to go backwards trying to capture that that essence of who they were and feeling like now I'm not that person anymore I don't know who I am but actually we just have to constantly keep getting to know ourselves if that makes sense but in a world that chases youth it's no wonder that we constantly try to go backwards rather than than embrace the forwards I I mean I sit here and I think oh I am so hard on myself I'm the hardest on, on my more hard on myself than I am anybody else in this world. Why? Why am I like that? And the mm-hmm. days when the days when I'm comparing myself to others are those days where I'm hardest on myself. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world that consistently asks you to compare yourself to others, whether mm-hmm. it be social media, whether it be advertising. You have to come up with a lack in order to buy a product. Mm-hmm. If you don't mm-hmm. have a lack in your a perceived lack in your life, you're not going to buy that product. Mm-hmm. So we are bombarded with this this idea that we are not enough Mm. or that we will be more than enough once we buy this well also I think religion plays a fact has played a factor in that as well this idea that that, well this idea that like you know God is the you know all-seeing and 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 he is the one to be worshipped and he is the one that is making all decisions in your life and that you were just a pawn in God's in God's play 
um, versus that idea of actually we have the ability and the power within ourselves to be able to do the things that we want to do. Like, you know, religion for so for so long removed power from us because because for the, because the powers that be in the religion, in the religious um, in the religious domes, I suppose, wanted that power. And so they tried to remove it from the people. And so, yeah, of course, social media and modernism and capitalism and all of those kind of things strip us every day. But also there's there's also idea, you know, I'm very confident and I'm very I'm a person who likes myself. I love myself. I think mm. I'm great. And I talk about that. I openly, I'm like, yeah, great. Mm. You know, and people are like, oh my God, Ariana, you're mad. Like, how can you say that? You know, Rachel, I'll make you laugh. You mentioned my singing earlier. <laughs> I was I at love your singing. I was at I was at an event on Thursday night and yeah. it was at the end of the night and we were in this the, in the in the bar and we were um I started a sing song, of course. And my, my friend was sitting beside me and um, there was a, like a group of people around us and there was two gentlemen and they were having a little chat, but I was singing a song and <laughs> mid-sentence, mid-sentence in my song, I was going, and I sang a song, excuse me, you need to stop talking, for I <laughs> and didn't miss a beat of the song, just interrupted myself singing to tell two people to stop talking <laughs> to listen to me singing, right? Like this <laughs> <laughs> oh my this god is, this is gold this is the level but the yeah. point the point being <laughs> that people think you know you're not supposed to to say nice things about yourself you're not supposed to pray oh, yeah and I, I know, know I know there's a shift I know there's a fine line between arrogance oh. and confidence I get that but even when I when I, I try to teach people about compliments and when when someone's uh, if someone thinks that if they accept a compliment and they say thanks then the other person who just gave them the compliment will think that they are big-headed or they will think that they are arrogant for them oh that's a bit of a that's oh that's a yeah, no. Just I was always taught you just say thank you. Well, I know, but no, but in, in Ireland particularly, re- right. compliments are repelled, like very physically repelled. You know what I say though? I tend to go, "Oh, that's so kind of you. Thank you." And then I think, "Why am I saying that's so kind of you? Why can't you just say thank you?" Yeah. As in, yeah. "Thank you. That's lovely. It's so nice yeah. to get a compliment. Thank you. Yes, that's awesome." It is. And hey, do you really think that? Tell me more about how fabulous I am. <laughs> but I saw recently a woman on Instagram was creating workshops, which I just yeah. thought were so clever and something I was thinking I want to do as well was like yeah. self-talk workshops and like workshops okay. on how to speak kindly to yourself and how oh, to I'll do that. Yeah. How to relearn the internal narrative that that constantly berates yourself. Yes. And turn. Yes. But but actually the idea, the very idea that people need to learn how to do that. And of course they do. Um, it's very don't you think like I often I often at this stage of my life, there are times where I and I believe that not making a choice to have a child is making a choice. Mm-hmm. So I think when you're not making a choice, you're actually saying, I don't want children, mm-hmm. because if you did really want children, you would have gone out and done it. You would have mm-hmm. gone out and found a way to have children. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this stage of my life right now, in recent times, I have regretted not having children, mm-hmm. but only when I look at my friend's children who are all now teenagers and young adults and I can sit in and have a drink with them or have a laugh with them or have really good conversations with them um, and be some kind of figure, wisdom figure or whatever you want it to be with them. Um, and that's what I regret because I go, oh, if I had that in my life, that would be wonderful. And I would love to reparent myself mm-hmm. by bringing a child up in a way I would have liked to have been brought up, mm. but my parents did not know how. They weren't mm. bad parents. They just did not know how. So that thing of 
complimenting them and getting them to feel comfortable with being complimented mm. and giving compliments. That's a huge thing. Mm. Mm. You know, that lack of self to, to, to be part of helping somebody in this world have a better self-talk mm. in their head. Mm. But you can do that as an adult anyway. It doesn't have to be your own offspring. Mm. Do those workshops, Ariana. Do those mm. workshops. Yeah, I mean, but also I think it's it's so like I mean, I'm one of eight kids and I, I have a very, very good self-talk. I always say I was raised on praise, that my parents always told me oh. that I could do whatever I wanted to do and all of those kind of things. And yet my my siblings might have different experiences. My siblings have different relationships with themselves, my siblings have different relationships with confidence, even though we were raised by the same parents doing the same effectively parenting yep. style. Yep. So it still does always kind of come down to the individual at the at the end of the day as well. And going back to what yeah. we're talking about is that yeah. solo that solo idea of like that you know we we all are dealt the hands the cards that were dealt, whether that be through our nurture, through our nature, through our environment, mm-hmm. through our education, through the people that we surround ourselves, through the jobs that we do. Um, but ultimately, it's about mm. us as individuals grasping what we can with our lives yeah. and and doing the best with it that we can, really. <laughs> so maybe on that note, <laughs> we should end because, oh, my well, God, I'm like, we we're going way over. Yeah, okay. Um, great. I think we've just solved the problems of the world. Thank you for that. That's great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we have put the world to rights. Oh, my God. Fantastic. Goodness. I feel like. And we, we did it sober. And I we did feel, it sober. I know, and I feel like we, <laughs> I feel like I, I hope people aren't going to be listening to this being like, oh my god, Ariana, such a shit interview because there were so many amazing questions that I could have asked because we just kept going from <laughs> tangent to tangent to tangent. You know, we were just going off, hard you know, to fit it all in. It's like it was, a bag of mixed lollies, really. Well, I know it? exactly, but I'd love. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to talk about that. The the kind of the the, the decision about sort of the children and because that is a part. Of, you know, in my intro, I talk about you know, um, you know, being single by choice or or solo parenting and on all of those kinds of things are, are all things that I touch on um you know we we concentrated a little bit more on the travel here and this um but we we also looked at you know so many different topics and I really really appreciate you kind of being so open so honest and uh, and talking about all of it with 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 me and hopefully my listeners will be you know inspired and informed and just maybe think <laughs> think about things that we've talked about on the podcast yeah, for the rest of their I hope day so too. shift perspectives but yeah listen where can people find yeah. you you've talked about your fabulous new website oh okay they can find me at racheloaksash.com hard to spell um r-a-c-h-a-e-l-o-a-k-e-s-a-s-h.com they can find me at snowsbest.com and they can find me on Instagram at Miss Snow It All. Miss Snow It All. Love that name. Yep. Love it. Um, <laughs> um, um, okay, amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm like, can I just say as well, because I meant to say it earlier, yep. we talked about Rachel's writing. We talked about her, your writing in Namaste. You are one of my most favorite writers. Your words are like honey on a page. How you construct your sentences. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, so, you know, if anyone can go on and search for writings um, that Rachel has, has written, you will be in for a treat. She is an incredible Thank writer, you. So. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. I do have another another website yes. called elephanttruths.com yes. where you can find that writing. That's what I was, yeah, that's what one, yeah. of, one of the websites yeah. I was thinking of. Yeah, Elephant Truths. Mm-hmm. Un- unreal. Um, thank you so 
so much, Rachel. It's been unbelievable to connect with you and to have this conversation. Oh, so good. I can't so believe good. it's been nearly, what, seven years? <laughs> Eight years? Well, Let's go skiing. Let's go skiing. We will. We will. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you so, Thank so you. much. Really appreciate it. Okay.